Salutations, and welcome to a mercifully short episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we're reviewing The Babadook. And that is all. That's right. Today, we're bringing you a bonus review of The Babadook because, well, we wanted to. But first... Wait, what? What? Uh, no but first. Oh, right. Well then, Chris, how about you and I just take a look at The Babadook? Do we have to? Yes. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. The Babadook is the debut feature film by writer-director and veteran Australian actress Jennifer Kent. It's about a single mother and her young son who are visited by a mysterious and creepy dapper gentleman named Mr. Babadook. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Hunter, you can't just will Michael Keaton into this review. Aww. As I was saying, it's about a haunting, shadowy man named Mr. Babadook. Or is it? Well, it turns out that might actually depend on who you ask. I have a feeling we may disagree in our interpretations of what's really going on in the Babadook. So before we begin debating, let's see if we can find some common ground to agree on. This is a horror movie after all. So tell me truthfully, before you go to bed at night, have you been checking your closet for a top hat wearing monster with long Nosferatu-like fingers? Well, see, Chris, I was doing that anyway, because I live in kind of a rough neighborhood, so you really can't be too careful, particularly with uh, dapper gentlemen with top hats with Nosferatu-like fingers. However, after seeing this picture, I'm actually having more of a purpose for doing so, because... Uh, I would qualify this as crap your pants scary is how I believe I described it to you after I first saw it. Yeah. It, 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 I lost some sleep over this one and I haven't lost any sleep over a horror film since I think I saw the exorcist as a teenager. Really? So, um, I think the way I described it to you is I don't think that, well, we'll, we'll talk about your, uh, feelings about it in a second, but it hit my horror Achilles heel, which is you take a creepy child and then you take there's a invisible man talking to me in my closet. You combine mm. those two things and, you know, forget it. It's lights on for Hunter. There's an eye light on while I'm trying to sleep. Because that, that'll get me every single time. Even if it's in a bad film, it'll get me. But this is not one. You know, I, I think this movie would have provoked that reaction out of me 10 years ago. You know, there, there were, I will say, watching this movie, and I was watching this in the comfort of my own home, which actually might have been worse uh, just being that it's this domestic you right, know, exactly. sort of thing. But uh, there were definitely moments like I have not felt that scared since probably seeing funny games in a nearly empty theater at like 11 o'clock at night. That movie just I, I think, it, you know, it, it had that element of and it's not necessarily a straight horror movie. Have you seen funny games? Either mm -hmm. of them? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it makes things that are so it gets very much into whimsy in, in places, but it makes things so real that like 
you you could legitimately believe like two guys could come to your door and then through a series of just escalated incidents begin torturing your family okay then let's take a step back here is that your horror achilles heel is serial killers um i don't you know i don't know if i have one anymore like maybe it is because like uh you know, there's there's that and then there's, you know, something like Zodiac like that uh, really um, that movie is still really effective on mm-hmm. me. I mean, we talked not too long ago about I guess when we were talking about Gone Girl about that scene in the basement with the the poster guy like that. Cre- there, there's a lot of moments in that movie that that give me the heebie jeebies. Um, but I mean, really between. So there's there's funny games and then going back to it was maybe more than 10 years ago. Now, um, uh, the ring, I saw the ring on Halloween. I was 16 years old. Uh, so you kids out there can do the math. Um, and saw it on Halloween late at night in what was at the time. I thought sort of the bad part of town. I now realize is not at all, but, um, like I slept with the lights on for at least a week after that movie. See, I don't think that would count as a horror Achilles heel because Japanese children are inherently scary and that's just a, that's just objective reality so it that's what that scares everybody mm-hmm. but things that scare just you would you say that yeah I mean if I had to if I had to think of or had to come up with one conjure one if you will mm-hmm. um, yeah it's probably more things that are in the realm of possibility okay and see I guess my difference on that regard and then you know we'll start start actually talking about the movie here in a second but my my thing with that regard is with a serial killer, it's like you can kill them, whereas a mm-hmm. ghost or a demon or something like that, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to kind of sit there and be their proverbial bitch. Yeah. Because what yeah. else can but, you do? But what about what about something that kind of blurs the line like Anton Chigurh? Anton well, Chigurh I, care, what, scares the crap out of me. See, and that didn't really scare me. I mean, oh, not man. like stay up, stay up uh, just, late scare me. Just like just like a, a exposed nerve to me. Like, I don't know. Well, I don't know what it is. Anyway, so but, you know, uh, let's you know, let's let's not even apologize. We're you know we're bringing them an extra. We're a couple. Episode. Yeah, we're we're sitting back drinking some Michelob Ultra that you brought over. Yes. Um. So we're we're a couple of grown ass men who for the, our entire lives had never seen the Goonies and we're still get scared by horror movies. Yeah, I'm I'm fine admitting that. Yeah, exactly. So let let's continue the uh, the group therapy session here. What okay. scared you? Because you mentioned that there what are a few. Sc- scenes that- um. There. You know. I I mentioned the Nosferatu fingers in in the opening like there are a few moments that um felt very i mean i don't know if they're homage to nosferatu but they gave me that sort of fear that escalated fear of um there's something about in that you know old uh, and i'm not talking of the Werner herzog remake which i love but the the old silent film yeah. like there's something in the way that he moves and that he has an impossible sort of um quickness to him, you know, that, that makes him supernatural that, uh, I, I felt in this particularly like in the escalating moments with, um, Mr. Babadook, where it just felt like it was so overwhelming that like he had total control over everything. And, and like, I was just at his mercy. So you were, so the parts that bugged you the most were whenever he was actually quote there. Yeah. When, when he was, when he was there, when it was, and, and you couldn't get a real good glimpse at him. You Mm -hmm. could just get, you know, you might just get the fingers or you might just get like, is he in the closet? I see. I love this. I, I listeners, I'm actually getting chill bumps as (laughs) like my hairs are starting to stand and that stuff didn't bother me as much as the book. The book, mm-hmm. the first and second times, forget about it. That is that was world class horror filmmaking yeah. right there. That's what really got me. Those pictures. It was like some demented Shel Silverstein or Roald Dahl mm-hmm. 
uh, well, idea. But and also just the way that it, you know, it feels handmade. Mm-hmm. It has that. Well, it was, you know, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it's you know, it's that charcoal on paper. Like it's not. It's not just like oh hey, accidentally bought bought demon book from books a million. Exactly. Well, yeah, right. and exactly. Right, I went to the, the library. Book, um, the book that they were reading, it, it, even though it had a lit, it was a little unsettling. But it started off just like kind of a like I said, a weird shell silver scene where it's going to be a little dark, but not like oh my god, I yeah, I mean, or like early Tim Burton. And sort so of thing. my reaction was the same as the kids. Is she kept reading it because she couldn't stop, uh-huh. and so she kept reading. The kids losing it, yeah, and then yeah. it cuts to you know the kid falling asleep, crying in her arms, and yeah. I think we in the audience were all doing the same thing. But then what about those blank pages? Like when she gets there, and there's just like like uh, there's so much. She I I think throughout the film she does a great job of building suspense and building expectation and anticipation and then sort of cutting you off, like not giving you a conclusion to it so that you're just left on that plateau. And then when it starts up again, you're just, it's sort of just this, you know, the thing that horror movies, good horror movies do is giving you that emotional roller coaster up and down and up and down. Well, and to that point, I think one of the most insightful reviews I read of the film said that what made it so uncanny is how it took what was really a pretty innocuous domestic setting and made it unsettling mm-hmm. not just made it unsettling but made it seem like the, it, this is inevitably a place where creepy things happen yeah because i was even watching this thinking why would she live in that house that house is so creepy there, but it's not it's not it, a creepy house she just makes it creepy but it but it is it like so i don't know if you you cut onto this like the the entire house is navy blue or shades of blue like it's um, which is an interesting way to like make it feel dark and damp and creepy without it being just, being just black, gray. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the set design of the film was really like just helped to bring it all because like clearly that's not what a real house like no one would no one would paint their walls all of their walls that color see blue. and i didn't even pick that up i was uh, my like i said my reaction was almost okay this is just a normal house but but, but i think it. but i think that's that was the intent you mm-hmm. know it's um there i do you know what old gray dick is Mm-mm. and i'm not swearing at you right now <laughs> um it, it's a technique or a style of paint or something that they that is used in i believe it's used in stage as well as film but basically coloring um you know pieces of set or props or clothing so that it basically feels invisible it's a it's a sort of way of making something just back there in the background so that you see it you know it's there but you don't think about it and it kind of had that effect i thought in just like throughout the entire house so the entire house felt like this vague place where anywhere bob the babadook could be hiding because it's you know it's just all it's old gray dicked and and yeah and that's a horrible situation to have your house and have it be completely old gray dicked yeah um crisp i think is there anything else you'd like to talk about are you ready to dive into spoilers um there is one of the uh, just to um expound a little bit more on you know the way that she builds anticipation like i think the editing of this film was marvelous um there's and and it's it's editing it's sound design it's there's a lot of things uh, that really like came together very well, well and just and, felt refreshing for a horror movie. And that refreshing is the the key word there because I really responded to the stop motion. The oh my the God. monster was stop and, motion. But but that that speaks to what I was talking about earlier about Nosferatu in the old in the old silent film is like that stop motion made it feel like you know the the Babadook monster has some other 
ability that like I can't move that way, you know, like and and so that just like well, and that's the thing is, had it been CG, I don't think it would have worked because mm-hmm. CG. I don't think it's it's not scary. You know, it can yeah. it can create well, a lot of magnificent and, things, but and not you. Poor. I think CG, you run the risk of you know falling into that uncanny valley or whatever, where um, you know it, it can either it can either look so crappy that you just don't care, or get in the uncanny valley where it's like, well, technically maybe it's kind of right, but it's wrong, and I don't know what's off, and so it just completely pulls you out. Yeah. Whereas and, in this, the 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 stop motion character, from mm-hmm. what we saw of it, it didn't look real, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it looked like it was there, which was very unsettling. Something that couldn't exist in our yeah. physical realm, but yet it's right there. Mm-hmm. Within her world. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly like it it just like unsettling. Unsettling is is what it was. And then what about like when you see him in broad daylight, like on the street? See, I don't even think I remember that. uh, She's she's driving and he's in the back of the the car. See, I don't remember seeing him in the back of the car. I remember. Uh, No, no, no. no, Sorry, the little boy's in the back of the car and he starts screaming um, and she freaks. She ends up running into a tree. I know. I remember that. I just don't okay. remember seeing him. Don't you see? I I could have sworn. And maybe maybe this is my mind playing tricks on me. But I could have sworn like you kind of get a whoosh. Like you don't really get a look, but you get a whoosh over where it's like. See, I don't a think presence. So. Okay. See, I don't. I don't remember that. I remember seeing at the police station and uh, in what's her face, the neighbors, Mrs. Roach, uh-huh. uh huh, in her uh, window or something like right. that. Um. Yeah, you know, let's you know, there's a lot to talk about here that's in the spoilery territory. So let's let's just go ahead and Yeah, and so start we're we're diving headfirst uh, into spoilers. One one recommendation I will make before for those of you who are leaving us now, um there is a short film called Monster uh, by Jennifer Kent. That's actually sort of the basis mm-hmm. for this feature film. Have you seen it? Hunter? I haven't yet. No. Um, you know, you describe the Babadook as crap your pants, scary. Um, I was watching, uh, the monster at probably 11 o'clock at night, one evening in my office, uh, lights are, are dark around the house. I had to take the thing out of full screen because like it, it actually scared me more than the Babadook did. And actually like I've, I have since had the Babadook has not given me any sort of fear, um, since watching it. And we'll very much get into that in, in spoilers, but this, this really did I'll link to that in the show notes. But if you are leaving us right now, you can see the Babadook. It's streaming uh, on Netflix, which will also be linked in the, which show will notes. also be linked. So in the show. let's jump in. Hunter. Let's jump into spoilers. Chris, you don't believe the Babadook was real. I do not. Um, I, I mean, just, there's such a obvious case there for, uh, it being this sort of perfect collision of, um, the, well, I guess let's, let's start from the beginning. Well, yeah, the let's book. do a John Hodgman thing where we just state our, state our case, make our case here. Um, so you've got the book, which is probably the first piece of really the lore and, and all of, all of this stuff. Um, clearly she made the book, right? Clearly she made the book. You get the, at, I, I think it's at the birthday party, um, when she like freaks out at all the, mm-hmm. you know, and acknowledges the she was a children's book author. Yeah. Um, like that, I mean, I to me, it just feels like the clear, obvious, like this is something that she made as a coping mechanism and then she allowed it to get the best of her. And then so and she never finished it. She kind of put it on the shelf, put it away. And then her son happened to grab it off the shelf and said, let's read this. And somehow, you know, she's she's kind of has this um, she floats in and out of reality sometimes. She uh, you know, there's there's a lot of like motifs of time just passing before her eyes. 
Uh, she, she feels like she's just laid down to sleep and then suddenly it's 11 AM or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so, of course she has flashbacks to her husband dying, which is a mm-hmm. huge part of this story as her right. husband died. While- and so I, I feel like she made the book as a coping mechanism for, uh, her husband's death. Not a very good, good one. Obviously. Yeah, clearly not. And, no. and maybe, maybe came, you know, finally got to a place where she was like, no, this is bad. I'm going to put it away. I don't know why she didn't destroy it. Um, but then, so when you get the additional, you know, I mentioned the, the blank pages, then the pages are filled in and she's killing the dog and her son and, and all these things, which that poor dog, that poor dog. The, yeah. The, and actually the only fatality in this picture. Yeah. This is, this but, is, yeah. Uh, but so, which would imply that her, you know, with him finding the book, it brings her hysteria back. And then she fills in the book in, in a, you know, manic state that she doesn't remember. And so I think it's sort of her, she has personified her grief um, in Mr. Babadook. And because her son is a child, he is willing to believe in Mr. Babadook. And so that cocktail of putting those two things together gives us what we, what we get. All right. This is, uh, this isn't so, so much going to be a court case wherever I present my, my evidence, in the new years. And then, uh, we have an invisible judge decide. Here's the reason why I think it was real is the book thing. Even if she did make it, which she very well may have, she destroyed it a couple of times and it kept reappearing. Mm-hmm. She ripped the pages out. Well, and she then, ripped the pages and so, out. And well, but then she set it on fire. And actually, I don't think it. Came I don't back. think it comes it, back. It didn't come after that. Okay, you're right about that. So point for me. Oh, okay. Um, the I, I can see your point about the kid maybe imagining that this thing is real just to in support of his mother, given that he's uh, autistic or ha- has some sort of mental disability. However, he also I, I think he just has trauma. Really. Well, he also starts seizing whenever he thinks he sees it, and so and then there's also her puking up the black bile. Mm-hmm. And then there's him getting pulled by some supernatural force up the staircase or and then her getting lifted up uh, in the in the basement. But but do any of those happen? Like I, that, and then and so that, and so at that point, where, the which thing is just, like it, the the killing of the dog happens. Yes. Anything with Mr. Babadu, I think, is arguable. Like, well, and 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 may not even be arguable. It's just uh, you say tomato and I say tomato. Yeah, it's just what you ch- want to believe. So wh- then let's let's have this discussion. Is it more of an intellectual choice on your part that you want to believe he's not real? I mean, I, to me, it just feels like all of the everything leads to it's a personification of grief. And honestly, I think it's a if. If that is the answer, I think it's a smarter film for it and not not to get, you know, not not to get real pretentious about it or anything. But, you know, it it makes it a you know, I think the thing that when horror works the best, it's, you know, because it's a genre and and genre pictures work best when they're not just being the genre, but they're actually exploring an actual relatable topic with the genre. And I feel like that's what this is doing is it's exploring grief of the loss of her husband in the genre. And, and, and also, and that's what makes this a stronger picture than just your run of the mill boogeyman picture. Yeah. If it was, if it honestly, like, I think if it was just the like, Oh, Hey, there's a, there's a monster in the closet. Oh, Hey, there's a monster under the bed. Oh, Hey, it would still make kind of crap as pants, but it it wouldn't be as good a movie. Well, and, and it wouldn't like, I don't know if it would 
I guess it would probably still be as effective if, if she, you know, uses the same techniques and everything, but it just wouldn't, it wouldn't linger as much. Well, I don't, and here's the thing is I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Um, I think it's one of those things of whether the lead character willed this creature into existence or whether it was a demon that just given her circumstance was allowed to, uh, exploit her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you use the word personification of her grief and guilt yeah. complex. Maybe it's a physical manifestation. And so that's why I, I, I believe that this thing was actually real. Everything you're saying is true, but I would add to that. You're, this thing actually was so real it, as a consequence. It really comes down to a, like, I mean, really a reading of basically the last, you know, act of this film when, when you really boil it down, because, that that last p it's either all of those things happen or they all only happened in her mind and and i think we're on opposite sides of the the fence here well and um, what i like or, or she you know it's a hallucination well and i think that what's interesting about this is we're you and i are essentially rekindling the very first conversation we had on this show about Birdman mm-hmm. because i believed it was all real and you believed it was all fantasy and we're doing that again <laughs> and as with that picture the way i feel about this picture is it, 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 if it were in our world, then yes, I would agree with you. But in the rules of this universe that exists only on celluloid, I believe that this thing was actually willed into existence and that that was actually possible, that this person's grief could manifest itself in a monster. Okay, then let me just try. I'm just going to try to manipulate you into being on my side. All right. From my side, I I think we're less likely to get a Babadook 2 because then you're just being an asshole to her. In your well, side. or someone else's, or someone, or someone else could suffer the Babadook. Well, that's but that, that's what I'm that saying. From, but from your side, the Babadook just finds someone else to leech on and continues in perpetuity for, you know, another ten. Maybe we'll get a, a Babadook movie every Halloween now. And so that would be a lifetime of trauma. And then we have to get a Babadook origin story. See, mine, mine. And just then better. twenty years from now, Rob Zombie will remake the Babadook, and it'll be right. really, really gory and lame. Right. Um, but anyway, I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it to anyone, you know, whether you've seen it or not. Um, I thought, I thought yeah, it was a good viewing experience. I, I've been recommending it to basically everyone since, oh, uh, yeah, me since too. watching me it too. and haven't gotten a lot of takers. Um, really? yeah, you were, you were the first one that I think actually, actually watched it. Um, a couple, like actually I was talking with a guy at work, uh, we kind of do Netflix recommendations back and forth and he was telling me about, about a movie I should watch. And I was like, Oh, I got one for you. And he's like, I'll totally watch it. And I was like, the Babadook was just added to Netflix. He's like, I will not watch that movie. Like he 180 flipped it around. Really? Just yeah. so he knew enough about it to know he wasn't. Yeah. Watch I mean, it? people, it, it apparently now has this, uh, you know, sort of lore behind it of just being, and, and I think rightly so, you know, it's, it's one of the few movies that I've heard so much about, like the scariest movie since XYZ fill in the blank. And it, really kind of is well and i think what i think accounts for that not just the quality of the filmmaking the quality of all of those other things it is a it is essentially about a children's book character a creepy children's book character who whether he's real or not comes and messes with a lady's life yeah. a, a vulnerable single mother and it's this character that we all kind of recognize because it looks like like i said a creepy children's book character it you know and mm-hmm. so that's what makes it so terrifying yeah no i think you're right that's that's exactly what makes this effective is it's uh, you can still, even as an adult kind of picture that character and, and maybe it's, you know, mustering up old fears of just the boogeyman under your bed. Yeah. And I guess that's what makes the best horror for me is that it turns you into a child. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, all right. So I would like to thank you because this this has kind of been a therapy session for me <laughs> is actually being able to talk about it out yeah. loud with another no, person. Well, Yeah. Now, because you've gotten it out, maybe the Babadook won't visit you. He'll, well, he'll pass on to the next. I will person. still be checking my checking my closet just in case. But so that was my therapy. Another very effective therapy is alcohol. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> why don't you recommend what you why don't you provide us a beer recommendation uh, for this picture? OK, well, uh, the beer that I have to pair nicely with the Babadook is called Black Dolphin by Marshall Brewing Company. And it's a barrel aged Imperial Russian stout. Uh, they age it four months in whiskey barrels and it's named after, and this is a quote directly from uh, folks at the brewery, the toughest prison in Russia. Um, you know, I, I'm recommending it, I guess, because it is a delicious, delightful, dark beer. And it's so, not going to make you hallucinate. It's not going to make you hallucinate, but it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it'll be hopefully, you know, maybe help you relax a little bit when when all those stop motion Babadooks start uh, coming at your face. Well, and so I, I'm not the beer recommendation guy, but I would recommend nothing spicy because you're going to crap your pants. So what kind of <laughs> what, what kind of outtake do you want? That's right. up to you. So anyway, the Babadook is currently streaming on Netflix. So if you have sacked up and seen it, we want to know your thoughts. Please tell us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, leave us a voicemail in your creepiest Babadook voice. Ring the red phone at 484-424-6362. Stick around as we'll be back after the break to discuss... Hunter. Oh, right. Um, well, that's a wrap on this micro episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr at WSAMPod. If you like the show, help us out by rating it on iTunes. And if you hate the show, hate Chris, hate me, or just want to spread the vitriol, please email us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Music in this week's show comes from Medicine by Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Find more of their music and tour dates at drewholcomb.com. Tune in next time when we will be discussing the summer blockbuster, The Avengers Age of Ultron. Thanks for listening. Good night, mites. Good night, mites.